I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. This is episode 38 already, Mr. LaCour. Welcome yeah, in. James. And before we jump into this, can we uh, maybe get a moment of silence for the tragedy that happened in France? Well, France and Beirut and everything that's going around the world, absolutely. So let's just take a moment and pray for our brothers and sisters right now. All right. Moment of silence aside. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks to all our listeners, too. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. This has been a horrendous week. We're not going to spend the whole—this this is an oil and gas show, so we're not going to go through and talk about everything. But it's been—no matter what side of the spectrum you fall on, this has been a, a human tragedy on catastrophic scale. And all we can do is pray that these enemies of humanity— get erased from the face of the earth as soon as possible. As soon as freaking possible. And to that point, <laughs> I'm going to throw in the extras. I showed it to you already, Mark, earlier in the week. John Oliver, our, our friend of the show, right? John Oliver, who, who we, we focused on saying John Oliver went full jackass on the Bakken, but he completely nailed just two, two, two and a half minute intro to his show. And... And I really like it because he goes, after all the moments of silence, I would like to give you a premium cable total profanity <laughs> explanation or, or, or just, just message to these people. So yeah, I'm going to throw that in the show notes. talk about it because we're a G-rated show, but go watch, go click on the link and go watch it. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So I'll throw that in the show notes. Um, it, PG, by the way, PG. Um, but I'll throw that in the show notes and you can get all of the show notes at tribrocket.com forward slash TW38 on this episode. By the way, I am James Hahn II from tribrocket.com. We're a sales-driven marketing firm. What does that mean? Well, that means that your sales team needs a good message to go out there and, and sit down and talk, but we're not sales trainers. It's a, it's, a, it's a grander scale where what is your marketing story? What is your message? Is it resonating in the marketplace? And is it attracting the right clients? the right clients because Lord knows I've been through it <laughs> where we're attracting the wrong ones. And so we help people tell the right story so they can attract those best clients. Mark LaCour is one of our success stories, but he has a different business. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. One of your success stories. We could do a whole episode on that, but uh, you know, it's Mark with modalpoint.com. Uh, we are the oil and gas sales experts. We basically go out into the industry and through structured surveys, figure out exactly who wants to buy your product or service and why they want to buy it? Absolutely. I got to stop saying that word. I'm going to pick up the energy because we've got a lot of links to get through. Let's start in the UK. Something uh, from RigZone. Oil gas industry welcomes UK government's pro-gas energy policy, a story we've been following. What happened? It sounds like something moved the needle. Yeah, so uh, the climate change secretary, Amber Rood, uh, actually, her and her panel made a very, what I consider, fair and, and shrewd decision for the, uh, the people in the UK. And so basically they said, look, right now, even though we're, we've tried all this renewable and um, environmentally clean type of energy, we're actually getting making more energy now from coal than we were before 10 years ago, which is horrible for the environment. 
So what makes sense, what they're going to do is they're going to move over to natural gas. They're going to phase out the cold fire power plants and switch to natural gas fire power plants. Now, just by making that shift, right, by doing nothing else, just by changing fuel source, you cut pollution by 100%. I'm sorry, 50%. So, um, it, and, and you'll hear a lot of terms, you'll, a lot of places, and especially with environmentalists, you'll hear them, they'll grudgingly accept natural gas as something called a bridge fuel, right? So until the day that the windmills and the solar farms can provide all the energy, we, we'll be okay with using natural gas. And that's what probably, uh, the, the, especially on the environmental side in the UK, is probably what they're thinking. It's not what they said. But I do think it's cool. It said, look, we, we're just going to switch to natural gas. It's better for the environment. It's better for our country. And, and they've made the decision to do it. So this is good stuff. That's really interesting to me because countless people have been pointing out about this problem across Europe of people adopting renewables and then having them increase coal dependence, not exponentially, but, but by, by a big number. And so this is, this is a, a European government. Well, you know, obviously the UK isn't on land, but regardless, it's, it's someone taking a realistic stance on this, which is refreshing. Yeah, and, and the thing that even on both sides, even on the pro-oil side that you'll see sometimes, people make what should be a logical decision about energy, and but they make an emotional decision. So it's all or nothing. And unfortunately, because the, we have different geographies in this world, we're always going to have a mix. And depending on where you live in the world, something's going to work better than something else. Um, do I think uh, fossil fuels will ever disappear from that mix completely? No. <laughs> will the mix change? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, solar has gotten in the last 20 years, has gotten 95% cheaper. Um, here in Texas, we're the number one wind producer. So other stuff's out there and, and switching from coal to natural gas is absolutely a great thing for the environment. Yeah. And that goes back to a conversation we've had many times on this, which is location specific. If you're in Arizona, solar might make sense. I, I hydroelectric wouldn't because you have no water. Exactly. And so there is no all or nothing. And generally human beings, they like to be on one side or the other. And so when it comes to nuance, we're not really, the general population isn't really that way, but hopefully our listeners are picking up on some of these nuances as we go along. Yeah, I'm sure they are. We have great listeners. They're awesome. They're freaking awesome. (laughs) Thank you. To you listeners, the next decade's oil demand growth, U.S. and India overtake China. This is from Oil Gas 360. Lots of numbers here. Let's uh, talk about it. This is, this is a great factual article. In fact, um, there's a couple of things in here I don't exactly agree with, but you can tell they did the, re, the research. I mean, somebody did, didn't just sit down and write this. So basically, the growth in global oil demand in this article, there's sands about 2 million barrels a day. Depending on who you listen to, that number is between 1 and 3, so 2 is a good number. And they're looking at the slowdown in the Chinese economy. Chinese economy is not going backwards. It's still growing, but it's not growing as quick as it used to be. Um, in fact, that's one of the metrics we're looking at when we're forecasting the rebound in oil prices. And they're, they're they, talking grow, about, they were growing at what ten percent for oh, a long was, time. It was it was re- crazy ridiculous, and that 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 curve is starting to flatten out. Now, India is actually projected to overtake China not only in uh, a global consumption of crude, but actually in population. And James, think about that. Our entire life, everybody's talking about all the billions of people that live in China. Well, pretty soon, I say pretty soon, in the next 100 years, India will actually take over, will have higher population than China. So this is, this article is basically saying that in the next 10 years, um, the, the, the oil demand by country that the U.S. and, and um, 
India will actually be a bigger demand than what's going on in China. As of now, China's the biggest demand in the world. And then the other thing I thought that was, that was cool on that they touched on is that how gasoline prices, gasoline demand is going up in the U.S. Now, the reason the demand for gasoline is going up is it's really cheap right now and people can drive more, right? Um, which is which is a, a great, 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 wonderful thing. Um, now, one of the things that um, I, I thought was very interesting in this is that um, when you talk about the growth in Asia, it actually looks like India by itself is going to have more consumption than all of Asia, all the different Chinas in Asia, all the different countries, I'm sorry, in, in Asia, including China. By when? Uh, I think by 2015, that should um, should level out. And after 2015, I'm, I'm sorry, 2025 should level out. And after 2025, they should actually start uh, taking center stage. That is, that's not that far away. No, not at all. So there's one number that's popping out at me right here that says China's 2010 to 2014 demand growth made up an average of 42% of global growth. Is Isn't that, that crazy? Yeah, that's an insane number. Is, is, so you're saying that's slowing down, though? Right. Now, I'll tell you something else that you should look in here, and it's um, you see the graphs with the U.S. retail gasoline prices. Look at the, the paragraph right under there. Mm-hmm. And basically, Raymond James, who's a big name, says they expect oil prices to recover and rebalance by mid-2016. Have you heard that anywhere else, James? You know, I might have heard it. This guy named Mark Lacour, he's got this he's got this podcast that he does with this with this other guy that doesn't know anything about. No, I'm just joking. Uh, past episodes. But yes, I, I have heard that from you, Mark. Yeah, and 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 I think I'm gonna actually modify that. We're getting ready to do our predictions for for 2016. I still expect uh, 60, you know, 60, 65 dollars a barrel in 2016. I've been saying April, which is exactly what Raymond James is saying, uh, mid 2016. I think I'm gonna push that out to August um, because of that slowing demand in in China. But I still expect oil to get to 60, 65 dollars by by 2016. I've had a lot of people. I'm glad you said that. I've had a lot of people come to me. Believe it or not, Mark, I've not, I haven't told you this. A lot of people have hit me up saying, "Hey, when's Mark going to have that 2016?" <laughs> and so, and so, when can we expect these these 2016? It'll be it'll be, uh, it'll be the end of November, and historically, it goes out the last Saturday of November. Um, so, I'll just, since we're talking, I'll try to make sure it still goes out the last Saturday of November. Maybe, maybe we make that the first Friday Q and A subject. Oh, maybe so. So, yeah, I'm, we'll, we'll get to the first Friday Q and A later in the show. But that, that would make a, for a really great what do you see happening in, in 2016 Q&A show. All right, moving on. This, this struck me as slightly alarmist, and so I had to bring it out. And it's from Sputnik News. U.S. not seeking further reductions of oil purchases from Iran hyphen Obama. So what's going on? So um, a whole bunch of companies uh, put the co- – not companies, <laughs> countries um, – Put together some um, some serious uh, sanctions against Iran to suppress their nuclear program, their nuclear ambition. Right? They were refining uranium to weapons grade, and that's not good. <laughs> you know, they kept saying they're trying to use it for their own nuclear power plants. Well, there's a big difference between um, uranium refined for uh, um, steam generation and uranium um, refined to the point to blow stuff up. And so, in order to stop, we place all these sanctions, which just crank down their economy. Um, and eventually they cried uncle, although they did it in only the way that Iranians can do it when it didn't look like they were crying uncle. But if you know what's going on, they cried uncle. And so the countries got together and put something called the Joint Plan of Action, which is basically, okay, we'll, we'll ease the sanctions on your economy if you do certain things. Um, and, and if part of this, this Joint Plan of Action is that 
we will not make you reduce the amount of oil that you're selling in the global market um, because you need that money. And so this article is written in a, in a, in a very slight against the current administration, making it look like they're doing something bad. They're not. They're just doing what they agreed to. So I see it says it mentions right here the P5 plus one. Is that what you're talking about in terms of the group? Yeah. So the P5 uh, plus one group, I think, is United States, Russia, France, the UK, China, Germany, Germany. Yes. And so they're the ones that actually implement the sanctions. They're also the ones that will actually do the inspections to make sure that the nuclear program is strictly peacetime power generation and not moving down the weapons aisle. So like you said, this is written kind of slanting against Obama, but we're just really fulfilling an agreement that we made as a country. Right. And then what is not mentioned here, but it's what of interest to our, to our, um, almost said viewers again, to our listeners, <laughs> um, is the fact that every oil and gas company on the planet wants to get their hands in Iran because they have such great reservoirs and they need help. They need money. They need uh, engineering. They need uh, technical assistance. So the oil and gas industry as a whole is ready for these sanctions to be lifted. So this is actually a, a, something that we should be celebrating. Is that what you're saying? Well, you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, no, if they dump all this oil in the market, it'll keep prices low. It's not a lot of oil. And right now they can't dump anything on the market. Well, um, so, you know, in a, from a geopolitical point of view, you know, Iran's been a thorn in our side forever, forever. And we need to expose them to Western capitalism. We need to show them that you know, America is not a country to hate. And I'm telling you, if we do this long enough, like we've done it in the past, we'll end up having another ally in the Middle East, which is just is what we need. We definitely don't want Russia to have another ally in the Middle East. Preach. And you brought up prices. So perfect segue into the next one. In the oil price war, it's hard to tell who's losing, OPEC or U.S. shale uh, from quartz. Give us the rundown. What are they saying? Uh, I hate this. <laughs> so here's some. That's what I thought. I, I brought uh, it up because I thought it was one of these false narratives that we've been talking about, and I like to expose them when I see them. Yeah, and I'm sorry for our listeners because you hear me say this all the time, but we're not in a war with OPEC. OPEC is not in a war with us. Our oil cannot be exported by law. It's against the law. So the crude that we produce here in the U.S. does not hit the global market. Um, and I could, you know, we go back to past episodes. You can hear why OPEC didn't. And actually, OPEC did nothing. They just didn't cut production. So, but this whole article is about um, a price war with the U.S., which is which is not true. It, it is affecting prices. We are importing less, but there's not a price war going on. And the article is talking about how shell production is still really robust, even though the margins have been cut so much. And the reason for that is for our you know our operators out in the fields, they did more with less. They're good at that. In the last 18 months, they've cut their costs by over 50. percent So we're, we're still producing. Um, and then this article goes on to, goes on to say who's on the ropes, OPEC or Shell, and shale. The, shale. And the thing is, OPEC has these big social programs that they have to keep running. They have to keep their youth working, and if they don't, they'll radicalize and overthrow the monarchies. And they know that. So OPEC right now is dipping into its savings accounts to keep all these expensive social programs going. And just like you or me and anybody else out there, if you start running your life off your savings account, at some point there's an end. Right? It runs out. And so, um, you know, OPEC is going to end up having to borrow money um, in the next year if they don't do something. So, it, you know, there's some good facts in here, but overall this oracle is, is off base, completely off base. We don't need to go any further into that. I just wanted to recap that because 
it just needs to be said as many times as, as it does, and we'll move on. In Shell BG Review, China wants concessions on huge gas deals. What is China asking for? China's leverage in Shell. So, <laughs> so, I mean, it's what they're trying to do. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because you don't, even if you're a country, you really don't want to try to leverage any of the super majors. Um, they have the GDP of countries. <laughs> I know. But so basically, you know, several large countries around the world, their regulatory bodies have to approve the Shell BG merger. And China is one of them. So basically, China's saying, well, Real, we don't what, know if we're. I'm going to slow you down. I'm, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. Like, uh, I got to ask, how does China get involved in that approval? How? Because Shell operates in Chinese um, Chinese regulated areas of the world, right? Just like they have to get approved by the U.S. because Shell operates here in the U.S. They have to get approved by Europe. They have to get approved by Australia. That's how that works. Okay, all right, go ahead. Yeah. So basically, the government agency in China, and who would have ever guessed they would have tried to do this, um, is saying, well, we don't know if we're going to approve it. But you know how we have these 20-year gas contracts with you? If we could renegotiate those gas contracts, then we think we'll get it approved. And so, um, you know, it's not a reasonable request. It's an expected request. You know, this something like this is going to happen. Um, from Shell's point of view, um, they have actually some leverage back on China. Um, if they wanted to, and that would it would it would hurt their earnings. But if they wanted to, they could go no. And that, matter of fact, we're going to go up on our rates, or we're not going to meet our contractual obligations, whatever, because China needs the LNG. Now, what, the reason China is doing this is their need for the gas LNG is going down, yet they signed some long-term commitments. So it's be interesting to see how this works out. Uh, Shell is a brilliant negotiator. They, you know, they've been doing it forever. The Chinese have, have, have some leverage, so we'll see which way this goes. Let me get practical here in this one sentence. While spot LNG prices are currently at 7 to $8 per million British thermal units, some China's contracted volumes are pegged at around eight to nine. So you're telling me they want to increase that? No, no. no. So, so what that what that sentence says basically is that ch the Chinese government committed to paying nine dollars for a million BTUs and the going price right now is seven. It'd be like you committing to buy gasoline at four dollars a gallon. Right oh, now I had it backwards. I had it backwards. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck, China. <laughs> I'm sorry. We haven't talked about rig counts in a while. Just throwing this one in here. I don't know how deep we need to go on to it. But is the U.S. rig count decelerating as of November 13? Yes, <laughs> of course it is. And now remember, rigs do not equal production. While you're drilling, you're not producing anything. Testify. So, yeah, so a lot of people will judge the upstream side of the house by rig count. It's been done that way forever, right? That Baker Hughes even has an app, which is pretty cool if you have a, a iOS device where you can actually see graphically where the rigs are and drill down and get details. Um, but it's really not a good um, predictor of what's going on on the upstream with the operators because production is where they make their money. Where they spend their money is rigs. But of course, rig count's going down because of, of, of low crude price right now. So it, less people are, are spending the money to produce new wells, but production has stayed the same. And actually, we're getting to an article where production's actually going up in a couple of areas of the U.S. Yeah, so don't look at rig counts as a leading indicator of anything other than the number of rigs that are out there. Right. Good. <laughs> just, just, Just for me... That's my takeaway on that one. All right. CSU study predicts Utica shale, shale will fill, fuel big demand for new jobs. The Utica up in, oh, uh, for our international listeners, it's in Ohio and Pennsylvania. 
Yeah, and uh, CSU is the um, the center for what is CSU? Now I can't remember what it stands for. That's your job while I'm talking. That's the, Cleveland State University. Cleveland State University. Yeah. So um, this is you know this is should be no surprise to any of our listeners. There's a talent shortage in this industry, and there still is a talent shortage in this industry, and there will continue to be a talent shortage in this industry, and it's a major driver. And this is an article showing how what the projections are for the lack of talent, both skilled and non-skilled labor, and then professionals. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get ahead of the curve and get these young people trained to be able to take these jobs when they're ready to get out of college. And this is, you know, this has been going on in the oil and gas industry for for 10 years. I mean, a lot of our listeners probably know once a week I go teach my local high school, teach science, right? Because we have a shortage of STEMs talent in the oil and gas industry. So great articles, uh, great job by this um, this university on getting ahead of it. And they also talk about, I think it's funny, they call it crackers, which is an ethylene cracker. But Cracker um, boost. Cracker boost, right? And they're, they're looking at all the, the ethylene crackers that are going to be built in that part of the country because they have cheap gas. And there's another wave of need for talent that doesn't exist. Those people, there's not enough of those people in the on the planet right now. Yeah, they estimate Utica drilling and production will generate 10,505 full-time jobs in Ohio by, 20, uh, t- by 2019. That's up from an estimated 7,558 jobs this year. Yeah, once again, oil and gas industry adding jobs, economic prosperity, everything's great, good stuff. More economic prosperity from Shell in the Gulf. Shell finds 100 million oil barrels in deep water Gulf discovery. Yeah, they just announced this yesterday. I don't know how you got this so damn quick, but um, how, how how did I do it? I mean, come on, who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah, so what's interesting about this fine is not that that Shell made another fine in the Gulf of Mexico. They made a fine that everybody else had missed. That's very, very extremely close to, to the, some of their existing operations, which means that it's going to be very inexpensive to tap into these reservoirs because they have existing subsea pipelines and uh, production fillies literally right there. So instead of having to build all this stuff from from scratch, they literally go punch a couple of holes in the ground, um, drop a couple of trees, and just connect it to the existing infrastructure. Okay, I want to I want to focus on the big picture because you just said a lot of other people missed because. Other people have looked out here before, yeah? Yeah, the Gulf of Mexico, you kidding? Everybody's looked out there. This is this is showing two things. The uh, the companies that have the best seismic technology and combined with the companies that have the best people to read and understand that seismic data are going to come out ahead, especially in the Gulf of Mexico. So everybody you can think of has probably walked over this, this fine, this reservoir, and nobody saw it. Shell found it. And it also speaks to the fact that all of the – anti-oil and gas people in the amongst us maybe who, who knows maybe they're listening but they say that we're running out of fossil fuels it's it's there's there's no more we we just can't find any more and here we have 100 million barrels under our nose yeah and let me tell you what's wrong with that that on the top of your head that sounds accurate but let me tell you why it's fundamentally wrong nobody in this planet has went out and looked for all the reservoirs there are. That, that, that It's a waste of money. Why would they do that? So Shell and Chevron, Exxon and CNOC and Petrobras, they only go look out and try to find stuff they can they can develop in the next five, 10 years. They don't look at what they can develop 20 or 30 years. So every year since I've been in this industry, I've been in this industry 20 years, every year the, num- the number of barrels of recoverable oil in the world goes up because we find new reservoirs. You know, it would not surprise me if we've only looked at 10% of the existing reservoirs, 20%, whatever. The other thing is, you know, a lot of these reservoirs, they're now considered, um, they're decommissioned. 
but they only got five or ten percent of the oil out of the ground. Eighty to ninety percent oil is still in the ground. And with new technologies and fracking's a new well stimulation technology, we can go back to these depleted fields and pump for another twenty or thirty years. So, um, you know, we've we talked about this before. Peak oil is a theory. How it actually affects the reality? I, we think peak demand will happen before peak oil. We think people will quit using oil or use oil less and less before we get to the point where we can't produce more and more. I like this stat right here. The company drilled the well to about 34,500 feet underground. And this is speaking to the engineering genius that we always talk about, driving its drill bits both vertically and horizontally to avoid some hazardous salt formations. Now, wait. That's, that's insane. Wait, wait, wait. It gets better. Remember, where are they drilling on the planet? So they also had to do this by and drilling through, you know, 5,000 feet of water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So close to two miles of water, and then they they drilled another 35,000 feet, and then were able to steer around a salt dome? That's another <laughs> six six miles, right? Six and yeah. a half miles. Gosh. Yeah. You know, and I say this all the time. This is the best engineers on the planet in the oil and gas industry. Here's all a good right. example. Absolutely. Let's move midstream. Midstream energy deal-making, gushing. Despite the drop in oil prices, uh, we know why, but why don't you? Why don't we go through it? Yeah, so the midstream section of the house is doing well. They could care less what a, a barrel cost. They charge the same to move it. It doesn't matter if it's a dollar a barrel, a hundred dollars a barrel. They charge the same. And because of the shifting in production in the U.S., a lot of the places that we're now producing oil, natural gas, there is no infrastructure, there is no pipeline. So the midstream companies are benefiting from all of this. Now, this article is is talking about the deal making that's going on. And, you know, one of the predictions that we made for 2015 that I was wrong about is I thought that 2015 was going to be a record year for mergers and acquisitions. And we've had some big ones, right? Uh, Slumberger, Cameron, uh, Halliburton, Baker Hughes, Shell, BG. But I thought we would have had about six times the volume dollar-wise we've had now. And that money's out there. I, I talk to those investors you know, probably on a weekly or monthly basis. They reach out to me. They want to know my opinion on stuff. The money's there, but it's parked on the side because most of the investing community thinks we haven't hit rock bottom yet. I personally think they're wrong, so we'll see what happens. But at least in midstream, there's been a bunch of M&A activity for, for several reasons. One thing, if you're growing – and you have a competitor that's smaller than you, instead of you building and taking the time to build a new pipe, just buy it, right? Now you have access to their infrastructure. So good time to be in mid midstream market. Yeah, so I guess we'll find out your predictions for if that's going to happen in 2016 now that oil prices might rebound, but we'll keep people hanging on the edge of their seat for those 2016 predictions. Let's talk about the great state of Texas. The <laughs> shale, <laughs> the great come on, come on, baby. Uh, the shale oil boom is alive and well in West Texas. Yeah, so what they're really talking about is the Permian Basin. And so, um, can you, can, real quick, can you break down the Permian Basin? Because people, especially that don't live in Texas and international listeners, they don't under, I didn't understand how big the Permian Basin was and how many different plays there are within the basin. And maybe that's a good place to start. I'm sure a lot of people understand, but for anybody that needs the 101, I, I always go, you know, it's kind of like state, city, county. That so the Permian Basic, if you look at the state of Texas and you look at the west side, um, you know, say, say, uh, you know, 200 miles um, west of Houston and then the, all that part of Texas, if you drew like a big oval, that's basically the Permian Basin. And the Permian Basin has, you know, grade A acreage, which means easy way to make money, easy money from oil. And they have all the way down this whole mix and they're still figuring it out. The thing that makes Permian so cool is a couple of things. It's scope and the quality. 
So it's at least 75 billion barrels of recoverable oil at minimum, right? And every day that number goes up because they find more. That's a lot of oil, 75 billion barrels. And then it's a heavy, it's a liquid centric um, play, which means you get a lot of liquids. You get a lot of crude oil and, and um, condensates and whatever. You also get some gas, but liquids are a higher margin business in the U.S. So basically you have a huge area that you can get oil and gas out of, but predominantly oil, and the oil goes for a higher dollar. So the economics just make better sense in the Permian than almost anywhere else. Exxon picked up 48,000 acres out there in August. Yeah, Exxon doesn't make usually make bad decisions. So that tells you something right there. Right. Anadarko is making moves. And I have to give a hat tip to my good friend, Dan Huber, friend, mentor, friend of the show, all those things. I've known Dan for quite a while. He lives up there in Fort Worth and we used to live in the same neighborhood. But every time I text him or call him, he's like, hey, man, sorry. I'm headed to the, I'm headed to West Texas. I'm headed to West Texas, and he's a small independent. And so and so, all of the stories about how oh, there's no drilling going on. They're drilling a lot of oil out there still. It might not be the majors, but there's guys out there making money. No, no, they're, they're still punching holes in the ground out there, and so are the majors. The majors struggle with the difference in in the actual how you go about building a well. They're used to doing it offshore where it's this huge, complicated project, takes 10 or 20 years. They're really good at that. On land and fracking especially, it's like a machine. It's, it's sort of like the assembly line where Toyota builds cars. It's how quickly can you build that car? How efficient can you be so you move on to the next one? That's what happens if you're a fracker. How quickly can you drill a hole and move that rig and go to the next one, move a hole? And so, you know, Exxons and the, the Shells and the Chevrons and BPs have never done that before. Now, Exxon did something really smart. And it's a typical Exxon thing. And I can't remember the date. I think I think it was 2011, but I could easily be wrong. But Exxon saw this coming. And Exxon said, you know what? We don't know anything about fracking. Who knows about, about fracking? And they found the best company in the, in the U.S. that had the best fracking engineers and um, geologists and, and operators. It was called XTO Energy. So Energy Exxon just okay, you're a buyer. And you bought them. <laughs> yeah, so they come bought, on board, guys. Yeah, they bought that skill set, right? Instead of trying to build it themselves. Unfortunately, Chevron uh, tried a different approach, where is to build that skill set themselves, and they called that group the Mid Continent Business Unit, and and they haven't been doing very well, just because it's not in Chevron's core competencies. And when it's not in your core competency, you just go acquire it, right? That's Well, that's one of your options. Or you can try to build it internally. Uh, of course, if you go to acquire something, that's a large CapEx expenditure. If you build it internally, it takes time. And unfortunately for Chevron, the people that did the best in the in the shell players were the ones that got there quickest, right? So Chevron's approach just wasn't the right one in the moment. And that's that speaks to the point of, I, I just summarize in my mind, the people who are really successful still in shale are nimble. Oh, yeah, by far. They're nimble and they can make moves quickly and having a long-term strategy in an environment where you need to be quick doesn't really match up. No, no, you still have a long-term strategy, but you have that strategy built around that you have the core competencies to be profitable in the frack fields. What what happened with Chevron is they had a long-term strategy, but they had yet to figure out how to be profitable in the frack fields. Got it. Got it. Yeah. All right. So thus concludes our, our traditional stories. I This one hits home for me. The Onion of the Week, unemployed Detroit resident, dismayed to learn job opening is with the Lions. 
So <laughs> like you laughed. You laughed. Every right. now one of them's funny. Most of the time they're not. All right. I'm gonna throw in the show notes as well. I just wrote it down. I'm gonna I'm gonna find I'll go out there and find something real good on the Permian Basin for anybody that's not in Texas or inter- international listeners who want to understand what the Permian Basin is because you got the wolf camp, you got several wolves out there, you, you, all kinds of plays out there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna find something on the Permian Basin, throw that in the show notes at TW, I'm sorry, triberocket.com forward slash TW38. Events. Next week is Thanksgiving, Mark. Yep, so no events. No Happy Turkey events. Day, everybody. Happy Turkey Day to everyone in the U.S. And and, uh, and, a, and a message from us to you and all of our international listeners, which is 40% of our audience, we give you thanks for tuning in. And Yeah, yeah it's funny about uh, international if if people from other countries that aren't used to doing business in the U.S. when they see Thanksgiving, they don't get it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> wait, wait! Everybody stops. Everybody stops what they're doing to eat turkey, argue with their family, and watch the Detroit Lions lose football. That's the that's the holiday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great! Um, but I do want to throw in here uh, an endorsement for anybody that hasn't followed through. Go to triberocket.com forward slash events. And you can put in your email, and Mark will email you all of the events that are happening around the globe once a month. All right, Mark. Uh, since we're going to be out for next week, and I guess you and I can talk offline if we're going to do an episode, some some kind of episode. But since most people will be out of the office and maybe not listening, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about the first Friday Q and A. Yeah, folks. So. Uh- the first Friday of every month, we do a question and answer session to help you, our listeners. But in order for us to help you, we have to know what you're wondering about or what you're struggling with. So there's several ways that you can get a question to us, but take a minute, get us a question, and, and we'll answer it on the air. Um, James, how can they get their questions to us? They go to tribrocket.com forward slash QA. On that page, you will see a form that you can fill out. If you're on your mobile device, you can just fill it out on your mobile device. If you're on a desktop or laptop, on the right-hand side, you'll see a button that says, leave us a voicemail. And you can click that button. If you leave us a voicemail, we haven't gotten one yet. So if you want to be the first person to get to get your question played on, on the show, take us up on that offer. But it's tryrocket.com forward slash QA. And let's do it right now. Let's make it the, because it'll be the first Friday of December, so why don't we make it the Mark LaCour's 2016 predictions slash what questions do you have for Mark about what's going to happen in 2016? Yeah, let's do it. I'll commit to it. All right, perfect. So if you so, whatever you have, go ahead, Mark. Yeah. So listeners out there, if you're curious about what's going on in the oil and gas industry in 2016, there's something specific you want to know, reach out to us. James just told you how to get the questions to us, and, and we'll answer it live on the show, which is actually not live because you hear it the next day, but still. Practically, you know, just we, we have, a, have a slight tape delay because of what, you know, my 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 wardrobe, my malfunction problem that that happens every now and then. No. Anyway, old joke. <laughs> so LinkedIn group. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah. If you listen to podcasts, please, please go join the LinkedIn group. They're brothers and sisters. The LinkedIn group is full of your peers. It's a great place um, to, to learn more about the oil and gas industry. Um, we're there to help each other. It's also a way for James and I to understand what's going on in your world so we can tailor our show to fit you. Um, great, big, growing group of oil and gas professionals. So if you listen to the show, take a minute, go sign up for the LinkedIn group. Yeah, triberocket.com forward slash LinkedIn will take you straight to the about page where you can request to join and we will promptly approve you. And 
let's 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 also wrap with uh, some sponsorship talk because we talked last episode about how we have 2016 underwriting wrapped up. Why don't you tell them about the supporting sponsors? Yeah, so we have two supporting sponsor spaces left for 2016. But let's break it down though, because they're per quarter, right? So two. Yeah, so there's there's two separate spots that, that you buy per quarter. So that means basically two companies have the chance to be featured on our podcast and you can buy as many quarters as you want. Um, and if you want to buy both of them so that you get all the primetime listeners, we can do that too. But if you're interested in getting in front of our oil and gas audience, um, who tends to be top performers and great people, uh, reach out to James and I, and let's talk. I mean, we'd be happy to see if we can help you grow your business. And practically what that looks like is that, you know how we're talking about sponsorship right now? Well, we would be talking about your business and then have a call to action, go to this, this website.com, check out, download their whatever. And then also we will put your, your logo with a link back to your site, because what are we kicking off in 2016? I'm super excited, Mark. What are we kicking off? Lord knows what you're super excited about. I'm super excited about the transcripts. Transcripts. We're kicking off transcripts in 2016. It's going to be a little delay on the transcripts because our friends, our friends at Cabbage Tree Solutions, if you need transcripts, cabbagetreesolutions.com, go there. Um, so once we record the show, we'll get, the, we'll get them the recording, and their turnaround time is usually two business days. And since we record on Thursday, we'll probably have the transcript up by Monday. But just so that's that's what practically it's going to look like. But uh, the supporting sponsor, instead of the the underwriting sponsor, their link will be at the top, or their logo and link will be at the top of the transcript, and then the supporting sponsor will be about halfway through, seventy five percent, whatever kind of looks best. You know, it's going to be a judgment call on my part as I design each page. But Mark Lacour is one of my. We, we mentioned it before. You're one of my success stories. So how how is this transcript going to help? So this is one of the things that James taught me. Basically, the search engines, I think Google, cannot read your video, right, if you have video up there. And if you have graphs or images, Google can't read that. This entire show that you're listening to right now, Google can't see it. Once we create the transcripts, now Google can see the show and it can read. So if we mention your company's name now, Google won't know it exists. After the transcripts, Google will read your company's name. This increases traffic to your website like crazy 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 great stuff crazy and mark liqueur you can go to actually you can go to my website and, and and click the case studies and you'll see that whole story right there all right i think we've said enough happy thanksgiving to all of our american listeners thank you again to all of our international listeners for tuning in i'm ready to get out of, out of here unless you have anything to say mark yeah folks uh, do great work pay it forward and we will see you next time go find some grease guys Great. We're, we're all grown up. We're getting there.